welcome back to Think Tech. This is Think Tech Tech Talks. Today we're talking about Ocean. It's Blast Ninja, the technology which was acquired by Kenamental. We want to know more about that. We want to know more about the Ocean. In Ocean, it has um, now another high tech product. It has developed and commercialized. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you for coming down. Thanks for having me on, Jay. Happy to be here. So, um, you know, every time I look, you guys are doing something to fill a national or international void on technology, and you do it right here, um, you know, on Fort Street. It's quite extraordinary. And um, I want to hear more about that because you guys are alive and well. This is You must be 40 years already from the time Pat Sullivan set up the company, you know? Yeah, we're getting close. I think we're probably in, at the 38-year mark now at this point, founded and still headquartered in Honolulu. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Pat Sullivan founded the company on the basis that innovation can be done from anywhere. Um, and we like to take the, the line of delivering technology from Hawaii to the world. Um, and that's been a big fundamental underlying um, movement for us throughout the the history of OceanEd and Blast Ninja, while it's kind of a niche sort of product or technology, if you will, um, it's been another uh, proof point that we really can do disruptive innovation from Hawaii. Who thought that name up? Is that yours? Blast Ninja? <laughs> it, sounds like, it sounds like a, uh, you know, a, a, a social media game. Oh, there's a picture. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> So yeah, Blast Ninja, I think somebody in our commercialization team came up with the name and my marketing team came up with the branding. Um, so big, big shout out to the team who came up with that. It's kind of funny because it's an abrasive blast nozzle, a sand blasting nozzle at the end of the day. It's not necessarily a very cool or uh, particularly like innovative industry, but it's everywhere. Um, and when we set out to kind of commercialize this technology that we knew was really good, we decided to really lean into an area that this particular industry had never been in, which is kind of having fun with it, being on social media, doing more kind of, I guess you could say modern marketing for it as we developed the, the nozzle and the branding that went along with it. And it really got people's attention because this is kind of a technology that has not really changed in decades um the blast nozzle but we wanted to come in with something that was revolutionary not just in the function of it but the form and the look and the feel of it as well i want to explore with you exactly what those objects do um <laughs> <laughs> in terms of um, you know dealing with the blasting process uh they look like extended shotgun shells but there's got to be something else there uh so what, yeah what what is that what are those things and why are they different sizes so abrasive blasting or sand blasting is basically a process that people use to strip paint or strip coatings or clean corrosion and rust off of parts or vehicles or aircraft. Um, it's been around forever. It's basically pressurized air is pushed through a hose and mixed with an abrasive like sand or grit. And it blasts it out in a stream that comes out of this nozzle. And it basically strips away whatever it is that you're aiming at the paint or the corrosion on, let's say, a car door or on a, a engine block or something like that. Um, and the nozzle itself is kind of slung over the operator's shoulder. And 
it's extremely loud, a, a very, very, very loud process. Um, and it was basically a problem that originated from the military, uh, both the Air Force and the Navy uh, have blasters that are working in uh, aircraft facilities and shipyards, um, like here in Pearl Harbor or in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, and hearing damage or hearing loss over an operator's life uh, is significant. It's a it's a more than a billion dollar problem annually that um, the uh, the military has to deal with in terms of um, disability benefits and things like that. So it's a big issue for them. Um, and it's something where we thought we can come in and kind of add this disruptive innovation that Oceanit is known for to something as simple and humble as the nozzle that is at the end of this pressurized air hose. Um, and so Blast Ninja was our effort to reduce the noise output um, that would protect the operator and also protect the people around the operator who might not be blasting but are on the same construction site and basically enable them to be productive in what they need to do while being safe. Hmm. Why different sizes? So in the blast industry, you have a whole bunch of different types of nozzles. Um, that's our, our full range um, that we've we've developed there. But basically, they're for different pressures of air, different types of grit or sand that you use, uh, different blast patterns as well. Um, there's a whole lot of kind of nuance that goes into uh, sandblasting. Uh, but fundamentally, we wanted to create something that was basically plug and play with the systems that all these guys use. Um, we didn't want them to have to reinvent every part of the blasting process in order to just make it quieter. Um, we realized that with the research we had done into, believe it or not, jet engine noise pollution, um, we could apply that to just the nozzle, revolutionize that one part to protect these guys um, while letting them still have all the same plug and play types of capabilities with the different sizes of nozzles and the different types of abrasives they might use. And why some red, some some black? It was a great novel back in uh, the early part of the 19th century called The Red and the Black. And it was um, by a, a French author called Stendhal. Um, but I, I don't think it has anything to do with that novel, does it? What, what, why the <laughs> no. difference between the red and the black? Um, well, the different lines that uh, we showed on the screen just a, a second ago are different constructions, so different types of jackets on the exterior um, for grip, different types of connections to the hoses. As you can see, some have kind of a, a wider base. Some of them have different materials on the inside as well that prolongs the lifespan or is fit for a certain type of application or a certain type of blasting. And so we found in the research, you know, to commercialize a product, especially in an industry that we didn't know anything about going into this project, um, we had to work with and talk to a lot of industry experts and they were eager to kind of make improvements in their own industry. And they helped us decide on these different types of um, sizes and these different types of functions or forms that would help them do the job that they do day in and day out. And so what, what's, the, what's the secret sauce? And I, I don't mean the sauce for the McDonald's <laughs> hamburger. I mean, <laughs> you must have some kind of intellectual property protection, uh, mm -hmm. some kind around that nozzle. Can you, can you give us further detail on that? And can you tell us uh, whether it's protected by patent and so forth? 
Yeah, so it is it is protected by patent, um, but it was developed and designed here in Hawaii at Oceanit, and um, it's basically a function of the internal geometries and materials that are used. Um, at the end of the day, without getting too technical, what's happening is we're preserving the speed of the abrasive that leaves the nozzle while reducing the air velocity. So that reduces the noise. Um, it's kind of like if you try to blow into a trumpet, if you're not making a good seal on the on the trumpet, you're going to be leaking air everywhere and that air is noisy. Um, so the internal geometries basically help us maintain the productivity of the nozzle while reducing that air velocity and the sound or the noise that's created by that. Brilliant. Why am I reminded of Ian Kitajima and the design thinking out of Stanford? Because I would like to examine with you exactly how this came about within your, you know, your development process. Because A, sure. you had to bring it to your attention, and then you had to test back and forth to see what they really wanted out of you and use the principles of design thinking at Stanford, and then ultimately come up with something that was a solution to the problem that you identified in the course of your, your examination. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's a, that actually leads me to a really interesting kind of like origin story of this project. So Ian and the whole team really have, have been practicing design thinking for uh, you know, years and years now. But the original, I guess, seedling idea of this project came from the Air Force, and it was about reducing noise inside blasting booths which are basically like contained chambers where a guy, an individual blast operator goes in, he's by himself, he's kind of isolated from the rest of the world and he's just blasting away in there by himself. But what we found as we started working on that project for the Air Force is that um, not all blasting happens in these booths. You know, it can happen in the open air, it can happen in shipyards inside of vehicles or ships. Um, and so there's often not a a booth literally to block the noise from the people around the blaster, let alone the blaster's own hearing being damaged. So we actually realized through the principles of design thinking that we were probably solving the wrong problem, that we needed to reduce the noise uh, coming from the nozzle, not the noise inside the booth or not making the booth more soundproof. Um, and so we went back to the Air Force and to the Navy and basically convinced them that, hey, you know, you were heading in the right direction trying to solve the hearing loss problem. But we think that this is a more interesting way of approaching that, where we can uh, basically protect all the blasters and all the people around them that are working on whatever their job is. Um, and so we pivoted away from the original kind of seed idea and started down this path to the, the nozzle that we have today. And, you know, the Navy has been really supportive of us all the way through as has the Air Force. Um, and a big, I think, push that you see from the DOD and also from the federal government in general is that they want to help commercialize these technologies now. And so they really wanted us to get these in the hands of operators in the private sector and industrial sectors that are using these just as much as their, as their shipbuilders and their shipyard guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no need to be proprietary about it. It's just a, a, a sort of a contribution to the whole process. And uh, query, I mean, is this dual-use technology where they help you develop it and then you both have rights in it? Um, can you talk about that? Um, so this is, yeah, basically it comes from 
the seed funding of the idea came from uh, the Small Business Innovation Research Program, the SBIR program or SIBR. Um, and we moved it through several phases of that with their support. And so they have a stake in, in getting that technology into the hands of their guys as well. And then Oceanit also invested significantly ourselves on, on our side, believing in the technology and knowing that it was solving a, a broader problem for private sector. And so we made a lot of investments in moving this through and commercialize, commercializing the project. Um, the commercialization team that's headed up by Matthew Sullivan did a great job of going out to the private sector and, and getting a sense of uh, what they needed and wanted, um, maybe if they didn't even know that they needed it or wanted it, um, and created those types of relationships that could help us get it to market. But yeah, the the DoD interest in it is still extremely high as well. Sure, it's great to hear that you know there's a market outside the military. So let's talk about that. You know, it seems to me, and I'm making a wild speculative guess here. It seems to me that blasting and repainting, you know, marine equipment and other equipment that uh, may have corroded over the years for one environment or another is probably increasing in the world today. And therefore, the need for blasting in preparation for repainting is probably increasing too. Um, so it's not just the military, although you know, surely this helps the military keep its equipment in good shape. But it's you know the, the marine industry in general. It's anything built out of, say, steel, uh, or like like metals, um, which is subject to corrosion in or around the ocean. And, and therefore, it seems to me, my wild speculative guess is that the market, the demand for this kind of technology is increasing, or at least that's the way you see it. And I'd like to know your thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly is. Uh, you could maybe, I guess, compare it to not quite as sexy as the rise of the automobile, but there are just more people with more vehicles and there's more need um, for maintaining those vehicles, keeping them running or restoring them. Um, and so, yeah, the blasting industry has kind of been there for quite a, a long time, you know, multiple, you know, over a hundred years probably in one way or another and is just growing. So like I said earlier, there wasn't a ton of innovation in it, though. It had been this way and done this way for decades. Um, but what we found as we went out there is that there was an appetite as well for um, private sector to protect their guys, um, to prevent injuries and be productive. They're getting more and more jobs. There's a whole industry of mobile blasting as well, where they'll come out to your property and blast your vehicle or your boat or whatever it might be. And so, yeah, the industry is really growing. I think the commercialization team at Oceanit did a really great job. We, we call it from mind to market. They're the guys that take it from the fundamental science and the engineers doing the stuff in the laboratory and developing the, the prototypes and then getting it into the hands of these private sector guys who are actually using it and get reaping the benefits of it. Um, you know, by the time we we'll maybe talk about this in a minute, but by the time it was acquired by Kenna Metal, uh, we had already distributed the uh, Blast Ninja nozzles to, I think, three continents between 15 and 20 different countries. So this is everywhere. Um, this is a problem for everybody who does blasting. And yeah, the industry is is just growing, even though it may not be something that people really know too much about. Who's the competition? What What's the competition like? 
Do they have uh, patented uh, noise suppressors? Um, so there are a few competitors in the marketplace, um, ones that are not necessarily taking the exact same type of approach. Um, I think the biggest thing that Blast Ninja brings is the plug and play uh, style. It's that it's just that nozzle. It fits with your equipment you already have, and it's just ready to go. Um, there are competitors out there that make noise dampening nozzles, but they're these kind of unwieldy systems that you have to, you know, multiple parts that you have to put on or change out in your setup. And so as a blast operator, one of the main things we heard is that, you know, I don't want extra hassle to do my job, you know, like I'll just get on with it. But if you have something that's easy that I can just go bunk and I'm ready to ready to blast, then I'll I'll use it. And I think that's why it had such an uptake when we took it out to different uh, private sector customers and partners um, that it's so simple to use with what they've got already. So you sold it. You, I, I don't know with the extent of, you know, the bundle of rights. I'd like to know about that um, to a, a New York Stock Exchange company, which I guess is into. Well, tell me what it's into. This is the stock symbol of KMT. It's a, a Kenna Metal. Um, I don't know if that's the full corporate name, but that's an industrial equipment company. And it must be yeah. global. It must be global from what you've said. Uh, can you talk about that transaction and, and what and what passed hands in that transaction? Sure. I mean, this was this was kind of a a long, long process. Um, we were fortunate that early on, as we were gaining some notoriety, um, they actually reached out to us. They actually reached out to our commercial commercialization team and were asking about what we were doing and and how they could potentially partner with us. And we said, you know, we're not quite ready yet. We're still working on these different things. But a few years later, we we got back in touch and said, hey guys, you know, we, we're, we're ready for prime time now um, and we want to figure out how to work together. But yeah, Kenna Metal is, is based in Pennsylvania. They're a massive company in the industrial tooling and metallurgy kind of area. Um, they've been around, I think, for nearly a hundred years. Um, did a lot of things during World War II and kind of built up their, um, I guess, portfolio of tooling and industrial types of equipment, particularly in a interesting metallurgical area called tungsten carbide alloys. Uh, that made them the perfect partner for us to work with. And we started, you know, working on different um, pilot uh, runs with them. And then eventually they said, you know, we, we love the Blast Ninja, we want to acquire it to have it in our portfolio and be able to keep manufacturing in the U.S. And so now they are the uh, the go-to for all the Blast Ninja nozzles. They distribute them around the world far in far greater numbers than Ocean it ever could. I think uh, getting back to the mind-to-market aspect of it is we we kind of take things from the lab to pilot scale to deployment. And then, you know, we're not going to be necessarily in the business of being nozzle manufacturers, but Kenna Metal is a huge company. They do all of their stuff in the U.S., and we felt good about giving them the rights to represent Blast Ninja and, and market it and add to their portfolio of customers um, who all kind of have this demand for Blast Ninja now. So they're a tool and die company. This is really important. Uh, is that, mm -hmm. is that, did I hear you say that they are actually manufacturing the devices? Yeah, so they're now manufacturing them. Um, they're keeping the manufacturing in the U.S. 
Um, but yeah, distributing them worldwide to their kind of portfolio of customers, they have an incredible reach. And so they, that combined with their expertise in, in the types of materials and alloys, uh, made them the perfect partners for us, uh, to really bring these kinds of things, um, to the world. Um, but yeah, they do a lot of stuff like everything from drill bits and dyes and valves to, you know, I think aircraft and snowplow and automotive parts. Um, so they do a, a whole lot of different stuff in the kind of tooling industry. Yeah, Joe Biden must be ecstatic about this. He must be ecstatic <laughs> about, you know, your development and also the the, the transaction with Kenna Metal, because um, tool and die is, is the backbone of American manufacturing. There you have it. You're really connected on this one. It sounds like a yeah. great deal. So, you know, congratulations to Oceanet for, you know, seeing the problem, um, revising the problem with, uh, with um, you know, design thinking and, ultimately satisfying the military and, and, and now selling its rights to Kenametal. What's the, what's the residual though, Jay, what happens uh, after the deal? Um, do you have anything left? Do you, are you still going to be marketing it? Uh, you have some sort of partnership going forward? I actually don't know the finer details of, of that aspect of it. Um, all I do know is that they will give it far greater legs than we ever could, mm -hmm. you know, Ideally, we would love to have a diverse enough economy in Hawaii that we could do more or, I guess, greater volumes of what we do here. And that's always, I'd say it's always been the dream of Patrick Sullivan, the CEO, to have more that can be carried forward here from Hawaii and have the political will to stand behind this kind of innovation. And we're making progress, certainly, in that area. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, Oceanet, we're, we're involved in so many different things that we, we really see this kind of uh, cycle of technology development. This is one of our endpoints, right? Whether it ends in a, a spin out company from Oceanet or a licensing deal or an acquisition, um, we really want to get to the point where we have the attention of the industry leaders in whatever industry it might be and they're excited enough about our technology that we've been excited for for years um, that they would pick it up and run with it from from there um if, if oceanet were to be doing all sorts of manufacturing here in hawaii we would be doing everything from you know rapid COVID 19 tests to blast nozzles to aircraft coatings to um you know <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of different things. It would be just, yeah, I think it would uh, get out of hand really quickly. So it's important for us to find these paths to partner with industry leaders in whatever sector it might be. Yeah, and your strength, as I recall, is uh, that you have a kind of open creativity within the company. Um, and so the management will say, um, hey, you guys, think of something good and we'll support you in your research. And then you hire a lot of scientists uh, who do that um, and you give them the tools to do it and before you know it they come up with things that really surprise you because they have the this this kind of open creative possibility am i right is it still like that yeah absolutely it's it's kind of a, a saying internally that we won't give you a ladder to climb but we'll give you the tools and you can build whatever type of ladder you want to climb um but blast ninja is a perfect example right like the initial underlying research to that was from our aerospace engineers. Uh, 
And it's not like we have a team or a room of aerospace engineers that just sit and think about aerospace ideas, but they had been doing research in jet engine, fighter jet engine noise reduction. As you might know, like supersonic flight is not allowed over land, um, over populated areas for good reason. Um, but we had experts that were looking at how can you, through the design or the shape, the geometries of jet engines, reduce that kind of noise. Um, and when this need from the Air Force came up initially, um, we started thinking, well, hey, maybe we have a match here. Maybe we have some fundamental research from absolutely from left field that is applicable to this 100-year-old industry that hasn't seen a lot of innovation. And maybe we can fuse the two and solve everybody's problem all at once. And I think you see those types of stories repeating over and over again at Oceanit. Um, one of our recent things, not to go too off topic, was we had FDA emergency use authorization for a rapid COVID-19 test yeah, called the SHER-100. It's not off topic at all. So talk okay. about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that research started with a DARPA-funded project, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, um, into cancer genomics. And we were doing this type of genetic research on cancers. And when the pandemic came along, we shifted that uh, research, we, we, we pivoted, I guess, that underlying fundamental science to look at the genomic code of the COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 um, and develop the test. And you can see this kind of thing repeating across Oceanit where we find these kind of connections that are seemingly out of left field uh, that others may not have made because maybe you work for a tooling company and you're just so deep into tooling that there's not that same level of creativity or, or innovation. And that's what Oceanit brings, I think, across any industry is we, we find these areas where disruptive innovation is possible because of research that we've done in something that's seemingly unrelated. So what's in the pipeline now, to the extent you can talk about it? What, what, what's the next miraculous uh, product uh, that we should expect to hear from you about, Jay? A really interesting one that we've been working on recently is um, liquid cooling garments um, for the Army, uh, particularly for their air warriors, which are their hel helicopter pilots, and for DETRA, which is basically like the, the bomb squad kind of guys. Um, and they operate in extremely hot environments and need liquid cooling garments to help them stay cool. We're looking at uh, working with some companies in the consumer space to fuse that technology developed for helicopter pilots um, with kind of uh, folding chairs and things like that. So you can stay cool while you're watching your kid's soccer game or out on the beach. Um, so again, a connection that only Oceanit could maybe draw, um, but yeah, personal cooling systems. That's a, that's a really interesting one for me in particular that we're working on right now. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 the, the modularity of it uh, is clear. I mean, because uh, you can use it in more ways than just a helicopter pilot. And the other, and the other um, aspect of it that, that comes to my mind anyway is we, we live in a time of climate change, and there will be places where it gets very hot. And to be productive, uh, industrially productive, in business context, uh, you need you need to keep your body at a a reasonable temperature or you or you go foggy um i yep. know on a hot day i go foggy i, I think that's generally <laughs> the case so um if you if you had a product that um would you know would deal with that heat uh, there's 
probably an increasing market for it going forward, you know, like it or not, uh, caused by climate change and the warming, right? This has got to be part of your marketing, no? Yeah, absolutely. And funnily enough, there's a connection in that some of the guys we're starting to work with in testing these products outside of the Army Air Warriors is with the same guys in the shipyards that are down in the hulls of ships blasting or working on electronic systems or things like that. And um, they have a need to stay cool in these tight, cramped, hot spaces. But you're right, with the climate changing, uh, there's going to be a lot more uncomfortable outdoor activities that are potentially in need of some sort of personal cooling solution um, just to make them remain viable in a warming climate. So, yeah, it's definitely an opportunity for us. Well, my reaction, I'm glad we connected, um, you know, on this, uh, on the Ken Metal deal. And, and uh, we had a chance to talk about these other products and your concepts within the company, because, I mean, you are a, a great example of Hawaii's uh, ability to create work together, find collaboration here and elsewhere, and think um, think globally. It's uh, really remarkable that we have you. And, and, I, and I, I've followed you since the 90s and uh, way back when. I don't want to go into detail because it's too much, too much to go into detail. But, but the fact is that Hawaii should be proud of Oceanit. Oceanit has persisted and improved and increased its scope and its capacity and its product all of these years. So kudos to you guys um, on another great product, a great deal. Thank you very much, Jay. I appreciate that. And thank you very much for having me on. Hopefully we'll have more technologies to talk about in the very near future here. I look forward to that. Aloha, Jay. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.